Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Before I get started, I'd like to thank everybody for the prayers for my mother-in-law and my family. It's well appreciated, believe me. Well, a while back, Pastor Rod introduced us to James. One of the key verses in James 2.26 tells us, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Of course, this is not to say that we work for our salvation. Clearly, we are saved by grace through faith. But the underlying theme here is that works are the evidence of true faith. Today, again, our focus, of course, is going to be on faith, and we're going to be in Hebrews 11. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. I'd also like to read you the New King James Version of that. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Well, they both clearly say the same thing. But what I want you to know is that faith is an absolute necessity. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever could draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And there's but one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14.6. The writer of Hebrews addresses three distinct groups of Jewish believers, Jews who had an intellectual understanding. Of course, the the three groups are Jewish believers, I should say, and, and, and Jews who had an intellectual understanding of Christ and Jews who were attracted by the gospel but never really fully trusted in him. Even though Hebrews is written to these groups of Jews, its message is also applying to all Christians. It applies to all of us. The right, uh, the, these groups were all enlightened because they had all heard the word, but the question is, did they really hear it? Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing. There are those who, that, who, who hear, the, hear and believe, and there are those that only hear in the natural sense. It is God who gives the believer faith in a spiritual sense. When he regenerates man, he or she is then a new creature in Christ and fully able to understand. They all heard it. They all tasted it. But to taste something is only to sample. It's not to fully consume. Of the the groups... Only those who believe would show the fruit of their faith. We know that God gives to all men a measure of faith. You can go to a water fountain and take a drink of water, and you, you drink, knowing, or you, at least you think and you have faith that it's clear and clean water. Or when you go to a restaurant, when you order food, right, you, you just assume that it's not contaminated. That's a natural faith, isn't it? But spiritual faith is something different, okay? Spiritual faith is clearly a gift of God. 
God's gift is of faith in his son is, of course, a, of a spiritual nature. The believer is a new creature in Christ, not, not being what they used to be. And, of course, they're not what they should be. Simply speaking, we are still works of progress. Philippians 1.6 says, tells us, I should say, tells us, he who's began a good work in you will bring it to, con- uh, to a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And there's a promise in, 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 in 1 John 3.2, which tells us, beloved, we are God's children now, and, when we will, and what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Regenerated by the Lord, we now walk by faith, and God renewed that faith. Excuse me, and God rewards that faith. Unbelief is defined as sin. John 16, 8 and 9 tells us that when he comes, he will come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they did not believe in me. Our assurance is based on faith, the faith that we have in Christ. Every person who comes to Christ in faith can come before God at any time, not in self-confidence, but in Christ-confidence. Ephesians 3.12 tells us, in whom we have boldness and access with self-confidence through our faith in him. It says in Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. These persecuted believing Jews allowed their situation to cause doubt in their minds. Therefore, they entertained the thought of going back to the old Jewish system of sacrifice, but the writer counters with the fact that the old system was ineffective. Only Jesus can remove sin. The old uh, old, old system only covered sin and only temporarily at that. Paul makes it very clear when he says, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's Galatians 5.1. Their faith was beginning to wane. The writer tells us, uh, that, uh, or should, I should say, the writer tells them in Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You can count on what God promises, can't you? He's never violated one, and he never will. To hold fast is not something done to maintain salvation, but holding fast is clear evidence of salvation. A Christian will hold fast to the very end. No matter what happens, he'll hold fast. Anyway, it is written that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him unto him for righteousness. This was faith, pure and simple. He trusted in God's promise that through his seed all nations shall be blessed. Jesus is the ultimate seed of God's promise. But all of us are, are, who are in Christ are also the seed of Abraham because we are the people of 
faith. Faith is the key. Having said these things, true faith is evidenced by action. This is what James means when he says faith without works is dead. Now today our text will be in Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. We'll cover four points. The assurance of faith in verses 1 through 3. Worshiping in faith in verse 4. A walk of faith in verses 5 and 6. And obedience of faith in verse 7. Then I'll close with a few words of exhortation. These believing Jews were pressured by their Jewish brethren. They were persecuted by them. This this pressure triggered some doubt in their minds. Now we know what these doubts are. They're the fiery darts of the evil one. He wants no one to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he'll use our friends, our associates, and oh yes, our family members. He'll use them all. So in the sixth chapter of Hebrews, Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the devil's fiery darts. We should never allow any circumstance in our life to undermine our faith in Jesus Christ. Because faith is our assurance. If you haven't already done so, turn with me to Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, we, we thank you, Lord. And we, we pray that your, your Holy Spirit will work mightily in this place today, Father, applying your word into our hearts so that we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you strengthen us with the full assurance of faith so we don't falter under any duress, Father. And in this place today, we ask that uh, your name be magnified and, we, and, and that, you, that your sheep here would be edified, growing in the richness of your word. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus.
first point, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of anything, that are, without things that are visible. They received their commendation. Credit must be given to these Old Testament saints. They didn't have a great deal of specific light, especially if we look at it by New Testament standards. But what light they had, they put their full trust and faith in. Even though it may have seemed vague, God told them of a coming Messiah, a deliverer who would take away their sin, and this was their hope. And they lived by it, and they lived in it. Faith is living in hope, and it is so real, it gives absolute assurance. The promises given to the Old Testament saints were so real to them, and they believed God. They simply took God at his word and lived on that basis. They were people of faith, and faith gave assurance and substance to what was yet to come. Faith isn't a wistful longing for something that may come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. True faith is an absolute certainty, often of things that the world considers unreal and impossible. We follow God whose audible voice we have never heard. We follow our Lord Jesus Christ whose face we have never seen. We do this because our faith has a reality, a substance, an assurance that is unshakable. In doing so, Jesus says we are especially blessed. John twenty twenty nine says, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Moses trusted the messianic hope. He forsook all the material things he could touch and see for a Messiah who wouldn't come to earth for more than 1,400 years. Our natural response is to trust our physical senses, to put, <clears throat> to put faith in the things we see, hear, taste, and feel. But the man of God puts his trust in something more durable, more dependable than anything he will ever experience with any of his senses. Faith provides the firm ground on which we stand waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. Far from being uncertain, faith is the most solid possible conviction. It is the present essence of a future reality. I took that little tidbit from John MacArthur. The old saints died in faith without receiving, a prom without receiving the promises, but welcomed them from a distance. That's Hebrews eleven thirteen. They saw the fulfillment of God's promise with the eye of faith. They held on to the promises as the ultimate reality of their lives. The conviction of things not seen carries the same truth, but a bit farther because it implies a response, an outward manifestation of an inward assurance. The person of faith lives his belief. His life is committed to what his mind 
and spirit are convinced is true. Pastor Rod preaches each Sunday. This is when we all of us see him. But the rest of the week, his time is used preparing for Sunday. His effort requires prayer, much effort and study. And by faith, he is absolutely sure what he preaches. He has been called to do this serious undertaking. Remember, a pastor is under greater scrutiny when he stands before us each Sunday. He realizes he has to get it right. So in faith and by the grace of God, he effectively ministers to God's people. Very simple. Because God, because faith produces action. Faith produces action. It's a serious thing to hear and understand the word of God because this puts on us the obligation to share that word with others. Warren Wearsby. Noah believed God. Why else would he have embarked on such a demanding and humanly ridiculous task that God gave him to do without having absolute faith? When God predicted it would rain, can you imagine how he acted? Rain? What is that? He had never seen rain. It never rained back then. Then he told him to build this ark. Noah knew nothing about building boats, much less a gigantic ark. But Noah believed God, and he acted accordingly. Noah had the conviction of true faith. For 120 years, Noah preached in faith, hoped in faith, and built in faith because faith produces action. We know that the natural man cannot comprehend this kind of spiritual faith. We see him, we see him who is invisible, it's Hebrews eleven twenty seven. but the unsaved man does not because he has no means of perception. He possesses no spiritual senses. He does not believe in God or the reality of God's realm. We believe, and this pleases God, and we have been rewarded with the gift of salvation. Spiritual faith willingly accepts and acts on many things it doesn't understand. Spiritual faith is radically different from natural faith simply because it's not natural. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. That's Ephesians 2.8. We cannot save ourselves but what we know is that God can and he does. It's this gift of, 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 of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. People of old gain condemnation, condom, uh, com, a commendation from God because of their faith. God always has recognized the person of faith. The verse implies what other parts of the chapter make clear that God makes his approval known to those who trust him. Faith is not just one way to please God. It's the only way. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The lost look for meaning and a sense of reality, often denying 
that there could be any such thing. They may turn to alcohol, drugs, or may try to escape into a cult, witchcraft, astrology, reincarnation, and countless other things. But they end up with no hope, no peace, no assurance, and no confidence. Voltaire, the French philosopher, he was noted for criticizing Christianity. While dying, a priest urged him to renounce Satan, and his final words were, now, now is not the time for making new enemies. He ended up without hope, didn't he? No hope. The hope that the world has is, well, I hope I hit the lottery, right? And we all know the chances of that anyway, so why put your money in? It's ridiculous. Anyway, God is one uh, God is the only rational and sure answer. Only God who made men can satisfy men. Only God who made the universe can show man any purpose in it. Those who believe in God and believe in what he has said have meaning in life. They've put their faith in a future reality. Brothers and sisters, we have already won. We've won. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The world most, in this world, most, most of the brilliant thinkers haven't figured that one out yet, and they never will <coughs> on their own. Uh, their faith is only in natural, or is only natural, not spiritual, as they are tuned into this world, relying on theory, which at best theory is only supposition anyway, isn't it? I mean, they teach uh, this, the, the theory of evolution in school was fact. It's not fact, it's theory. In my opinion, rather rank theory at that. But we know what theory is, right? It's just a possibility. (laughs) Point two, worshiping in faith. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This verse takes us back to Genesis where it speaks of Abel's sacrifice. And it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. That's Genesis 4, 3 through 5. We see that Cain and Abel had a place to worship. They brought offerings to some sort of altar or something that must have been used for sacrifice. There's no mention of their uh, uh, erecting an altar at this time. It may be that an altar already existed. It would be consistent with God that from the beginning, he would have provided for some, some means of worship, perhaps even the forerunner of the mercy seat. There seems to have been a, a time for worship, as the verse says, in the course of time, that would be at the end of a certain period of time, it would seem like it would seem likely that God uh, designated a special time for sacrificing. He's a God of order. We know that in later centuries, he did prescribe definite times and ways of worship. The fact that, that Cain and Abel came to the sacrifice at the same time also suggests 
that God had specified a particular time. It's also likely that God had designated a way to worship. Cain and Abel would know nothing about the need for worship or sacrifice, much less the way, uh, much less the way uh, had they not been told by God or perhaps through their parents. It's significant that the first recorded act of worship was sacrifice. It was a sin offering, the supreme act of worship in all of God's covenants. If we think of the old hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. Since faith comes by hearing, Romans ten seventeen, Abel must have heard some revelation from God, which has faith, uh, which his faith is based. He must have known the place and time and way in which God wanted to sacrifice for sin, uh, sin to be offered. This was a picture of Christ. God knew that all men would fall short of the glory of God. So Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Physically, 2,000 years ago in some, but before the foundation of the world, effectively, he was crucified. All the Old Testament, all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to that one event. When does one faith begin? Well, it begins when we believe God and in knowing we are sinners worthy of death, desperately in need of forgiveness. When we accept his revelation and his revealed plan for our, our deliverance, it was in, in, in such faith that Abel presented his sacrifice to God. And because of such faith, his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Abel, Abel approached God with the idea that this is what he wanted. And in doing so, he acknowledged his sin. Cain was disobedient. He didn't acknowledge his sin. Therefore, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain had the same knowledge as Abel, but he decided to worship in his own way. I don't think he heard Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. But he decided to worship in his own way. Most of the world thinks like Cain. They worship in their own way. That is indeed if they worship at all. And there are false religions which try to come to God in ways other than the way God has prescribed. It is said you can get there by good deeds, you do. Or I can get there by the teachings of uh, well, Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith, the Watchtower, the Koran. But the Bible tells us you can only get there one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. Acts four twelve marks the truth where it says marks that truth where it says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Cain's disobedience of God. By setting his own standard is the beginning of Satan's world system. Cain willingly went out from the presence of the Lord, Genesis 4, 16, and into a life of continuous self-will, which is the heart of worldliness and unbelief. I pray that every day. I pray every day that the, 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 that the Lord kills 
the desires of this flesh kills the old man every day. We want to do things our way, but our way is the wrong way. Woe to them, Jude says, for they have gone the way of Cain. Cain exemplifies the religious, natural man who believes in God and even in religion. But after his own, he rejects redemption by blood. They seek to establish their own righteousness, as Paul tells us in Romans 10.10. There are those among you who forsake the assembling of themselves together in worship. Are they trying to do it their way? I don't know. But what I know is this. The Hebrews 10.24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, we are in the last days. Early on, when we talked early on in Hebrews, it says, and God spoke to us in these last days. He spoke to us through his son. We've been in the last days. Since Jesus came. By his faith, Abel obtained righteousness. Because of his faith, he did what God told him to do. <clears throat> this is the only thing that changes man's relationship to God. It's not how good we are, but whether or not we trust in him. The trust being evident by obedience to his word. Abel, like all men, was sinful. Remember, you've got to remember what Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all. However, it was also likely that Abel was a better man than Cain, probably being more honest, more moral, more dependable, and even more likable. But it wasn't these qualities of Abel, of Abel that made him, or made his sacrifice more acceptable. It was the difference, the way that the sacrifices were made. One was made in obedience and obedient faith, the other made in disobedient and unbelief. Obedience, now, let me just say this, obedience does not bring about faith, but faith brings about obedience. If your faith is true, you'll see obedience. When faith is demonstrated by, once faith is demonstrated by obedience, James drives that point home by reminding us that Abraham's faith for which he was counted righteous was demonstrated by his obedient offering of his son Isaac as God commanded him. We all know that he didn't let him do it, but he commanded it, but he was going to do it. Matter of fact, when God told him to do it, he already counted Isaac as dead, didn't he? Our third point illustrates a walk of faith. Verses 5 and 6. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see, see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commanded as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder. He, he rewards those who seek him. Whereas Abel exemplifies worshiping by faith, which has to come first, by the way. Uh, Enoch exemplifies walking by faith. God never intended works 
as a way for men to come to him. He intended for works to be the result of salvation, not the way of salvation. At no time has man been able to approach God on the basis of works. Adam and Eve had walked and talked with God in the garden, but when they fell, they were thrown out of the garden. Out. And so they ceased to walk with him. But the ultimate destiny of man is reinstated with Enoch's example, who stands as an illustration for all men of what is to be. Enoch experienced fellowship with God that Adam and Eve had forfeited. Evidently, Enoch's faith included anything Abel's included. He had to have offered sacrifice to God, symbolic of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, because sacrifice is the only way into God's presence. One cannot come to God apart from the shedding of blood. This principle hasn't changed from then until this day. It said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Absolutely nothing from men apart from faith can please God. Religion can't do it. It's essentially a system of, developed by the devil to counteract truth. Nationality or heritage can't do it. The Jews thought they, were, they pleased God just by being descendants of Abraham. But as a matter of fact, though, for the most part, they displeased God, didn't they? God works themselves. I mean, God works. Good works themselves cannot please God. Romans 3.20 tells us, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not enough to simply believe that he exists in order to please him, it's also necessary to believe that he is moral, just, and that he rewards faith in him. Enoch believed and knew God in a personal, loving way. For 300 years, Enoch had fellowship with, with the true God. Enoch knew him to be merciful, forgiving, caring, and very personal. Because we're in Christ, we can go to the Lord we can go to God any time. As Christians, we, have, we go right to the throne of grace when we pray. We don't need to go over here. Over there. We go right directly to the throne of grace. In order to have fellowship, one must have a relationship. Do two walk together unless they agree to do so. The point being that walking together presupposes harmony. This is the basis of a relationship which sinful man cannot have with God. As Christians, we have a relationship with him in Jesus Christ. Since the time of Adam's fall, all men are born rebellious. We don't develop rebelliousness. We don't learn it. We're born in it. We are all by nature children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2, 3. The whole purpose of salvation is to reconcile men to God. Did you hear that? The whole purpose of salvation is to reconcile men to God. That's why. Okay. 
Because of Enoch's faith, he was reconciled with God, and he walked with God. God's a rewarder of those who trust him. And so Enoch was taken up, bypassing the death stage. Enoch is a beautiful picture of believers who will be taken up directly to heaven when our Lord returns for his bride, the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Some of us are maybe some down the road, or some of us are maybe, it could be tomorrow, we're going to meet the Lord in the air without suffering death. Our final point is obedience of faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet to come, as yet unseen, in in, uh, reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. James tells us that faith without works is dead. James 2.26, true faith always begets action to support its claim. Early in James 2, he condemns the man who says he has faith but does nothing to help a fellow Christian in need. If one really has faith in God, there will be evidence in the way he lives, in the things that he says, and in the things that he does. There's an old hymn that says, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart. That's what we want to be. If we want to be like Jesus, right? We we should be showing some of that evidence, shouldn't we? Believers are in fact created in, in fact, believers are in fact created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. All the saints listed in Hebrews 2.11 were made known by something they did. Noah was a man of faith. His life continually showed his faith by his utter obedience to God. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God, Genesis 6.9. He worshipped God faithfully as Abel had. He walked with God faithfully as did Enoch. And he also worked for God faithfully. Noah had tremendous faith. It was because of his absolute trust in God and because of his unhesitating and persistent obedience for 120 years in an undertaking that from a human perspective looked totally absurd, not to mention impossible. He did it anyway, didn't he? By faith, Noah condemned the world. His obedience included his passing on the rest of the world, God's message of coming judgment. Donald Barnhouse once quoted, hell is as much a part of the love story as God is in heaven. Righteousness and sin cannot coexist. God cannot establish righteousness until sin is destroyed. The saddest lesson from Noah's day is that we haven't changed much, have we? We haven't changed. Our attitude toward God has not changed radically. Once more, They will not change until the Lord returns, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. They were living it up until the day the Lord closed the door of the ark. The parallel of Noah's day to our day is just so sobering, it's just hard to grasp. 
In summary, we note that that Abel illustrates the worship of faith. His sacrifice was given in faith, in obedience to God's word. uh, Enoch's walk of faith demonstrates to us how Christians should live in the sight of God and in fellowship with him, which we have through Jesus Christ. And perhaps more than any other in history, Noah illustrated the obedience of faith in that he, for 120 years, built the ark, all the while giving warning of the flood to come. Each one of these men mentioned proved their, proved their faith by what they did. We like Noah. Now, I'll, I'll save that here. In Matthew, 2, uh, in Matthew 24, 37 through 39, it is written, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. It did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, we like Noah should be giving warning. The impending destruction, and it's been prophesied, This is the worst time in history that's going to come upon man. It's so bad, in fact, that God says he will shorten those days. He'll have to shorten them. It's going to be so bad. The tribulation is going to happen. I can't give you the dates or the time or anything like that because no man knows this. But we do have a hint, don't we? As in the days of Noah. (laughs) Now, we believe in Jesus. We believe in his finished work. When he came, he came to seek and to save the lost. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it is written, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. All who believe and trust in Jesus are righteous. Well, maybe not always in practice, but in position, we are righteous. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us by faith. That's Romans 3.22. Just as the Old Testament saints who counted on the for all promise of God, promises of God, we also count on them. <coughs> I quote this verse a lot. Jesus tells us in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, will I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is a promise. Again, I say, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, we know that Paul was assured when he wrote in Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing 
can separate us. Nothing. Jesus again assures us when he says in John's gospel, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. All who have come to Jesus and all who will come to him do so in the full assurance of faith. Brothers and sisters, faith is the key. Matthew 7, 9 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Father in heaven, we, we thank you, Father, for giving us the gift of faith, a faith that the world cannot have nor understand, Father. We ask that our faith continues to grow in us as we walk in his glorious light. And Lord, we, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who was there to guide us, to help us in our walk of faith. And Lord, we're grateful to you for the fellowship we share with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.